Well, indeed there is. There's really something about that name. I've always been intrigued every time I kind of look to see who writes these songs. And I see, see uh, Bill and Gloria Gaither, uh, who wrote this particular song. Uh, the one at the beginning, Step by Step, really comes out of Rich Mullins' background. Uh, writes some good music. Well, as I said before, um, today this is kind of like leading a leadership institute, if you will, as we go through uh, this third chapter. Um, and it's probably more practical than spiritual in a way, although there's hopefully spiritual admonitions and teachings today because it comes out of God's word. I'm going to start today by talking about building a resume. How many of you ever had to put together a resume for something? Okay, a few of you. You know, one of the hardest parts about applying for certain jobs is to write that resume. And it's not easy to summarize all of your gifts or talents and accomplishments in about, let's say, a one-page document. In fact, uh, I've gotten some already that were about five or six pages. I just got tired of it after the first page. Uh, And sometimes people, uh, just a few words. And then there are some people who just don't get their resume right. I'm going to share a few bad resumes here with you. My duties included cleaning the restrooms and seeing the customers. I'm not sure I want to eat at that restaurant. How about this one? I watered, groomed, and fed the family dog for five years. Well, laudable, but I'm not sure that I'm going to hire you as my director of youth ministries. Uh, My last employer insisted that all employees get to work by 8.45 every morning. I couldn't work under those conditions. For this, this one, the company made me a scapegoat just like my three previous employers. I love this one. Being in trouble with the law, I moved quite frequently. Yeah, we're going to hire you to be church treasurer. Uh, please don't misconstrue my 14 jobs as job hopping. I have never quit a job. Fired, maybe. Quit, no. Uh, I'm extremely loyal to my present firm, so please don't let them know of my immediate availability. Well, I'm just saying, it's writing a resume, putting together your biographical sketch or whatever, is not as easy as it sounds, but it's necessary, and it's a good exercise for any job that you might apply for. After all, we ought to be all be pretty much aware of all of our strengths, our weaknesses, our gifts, our spiritual gifts, our graces, our talents, our skills, and and the kind of work that we're really cut out to do. So today we're going to talk about putting together what I will call a disciple leadership resume. Now we're in this third week of this series called Apprentice You, or Educate You, however you want to put it. It's about how to prepare for the ultimate job interview. Uh, In other words, how to prepare to be useful in God's kingdom as a disciple who is going to be making other disciples. Now, we know from the very beginning that Timothy was Paul's apprentice. Paul nurtured him. Paul discipled him. Paul encouraged him. Paul trained him how to be a leader in the church. And so today we're going to talk about what it means to be a leader in the church. And before you say, well, he's not going to be talking to me today because I'm not going to be doing no leading in this place. I got news for you, you better. (laughs) We all need to be leaders. We all need to be leaders. And so in this series, I'm encouraging us all to be Paul's apprentice, just like Timothy was, and to learn the same lessons that Timothy also learned. 
And so in this chapter, breaking it down, Paul here talks about the qualifications of spiritual leaders, and he uses three different roles of leadership. We're going to take a quick look at them. Uh, The first thing is he talks about the overseer. That was in verse 1, and the the Greek word there is episkopos. It it probably sounds a little about episcopalian, and that kind of comes in there somewhere, but episkopos, and some translations actually say bishop, different word. Now, he's not referring exclusively to the pastor. He's not just, you know, this chapter 3, okay, chapter 1 and 2 all had to do with you guys today. This is all about me. No, that's not the way it works. Uh, He's talking about uh, the decision makers in the church, people who are responsible for what I would call the spiritual care of the congregation. Now, this includes the pastor, that's me, but it also includes everybody else that's on the leadership team. For example, uh, besides myself, it includes Ed. Ed has some leadership in this because he's responsible for reporting the good, the bad, and the ugly back to praise and worship, make sure we're on the right track. It, it includes Jeff, who works in logistics and makes sure a lot of other stuff happens. It's, it, it's Anthony who makes sure that I, I at least have sound on Sunday and puts all of this stuff that you see on the screen together. It includes Mary Evelyn, who is leading the worship today in singing. So that's the that's leadership team. But it's going to go way beyond that because it has to include the rest of you guys as well. Then he's going to talk about deacons, diakonos, in verse 9. And, and the Greek word means servant. And some have this title in church. When I'm down in prison, uh, a lot of churches down there use the word deacon. And uh, they, they say, well, this is Deacon Smith. He's going to take care of you this morning. Uh, and some have that title in churches, but everyone has the responsibility to serve. So this coming Saturday, what are we going to do? All you little deacons. We are going to be involved at CAM to be servants. He also talks about, if we're going to get back to women again, he also talks about women. Gune. I, I don't know why that Greek word, guni, sounds kind of funny to call women goonies. Uh, but gune probably be a better way to pronounce that word. So most translations render this word as wives. But the word literally is a woman, married or unmarried. So it's not letting anybody out of this thing. Uh, here I believe Paul was actually speaking about what we might call deaconettes or deaconesses. We have those in church. These were female servant leaders. And we have other female servant leaders as well. So the bottom line in this chapter is about qualifications for being a leader. And though Paul addresses these three areas, uh, many qualifications overlap. And so I'm just going to dump them all in one big pot and I'm just going to stir them up and we're going to get to them one one way or another in this chapter. So don't worry about me going chronologically through chapter three. But this third chapter uh, gives us an idea of what should be going on in our spiritual life, in our spiritual resume, uh, the kind of characteristics that God is looking for, uh, for people that he really desires to put in work or to plug in to his kingdom. And so as we go through this checklist today, I probably could have made a checklist. And as you've gone through, evaluate yourself in each area. Now, you might be tempted to be sitting there and evaluating other people. I'm looking at the pastor's wife. 
or the pastor is looking at his wife. But be careful that we're not here like, well, we're going to hold somebody else up to these rigorous standards. So don't be looking at your wives. Don't be thinking about other people that are sitting next to you or anything. This is all about you. And you got to understand, uh, this is a, kind of a, a, a tough list. But you need to start by asking yourself, and I've gone through this so many times this week, I have beat myself up <laughs> several times over several of these things we're going to talk about today. But is there an area, for example, in which you are totally lacking? I got news for any of you that are introverts. Any of those here? Yeah, we got a few of them. They're afraid to raise their hand. They're afraid to raise their hand. All right. <laughs> Jeff and I already know we are. <laughs> Believe it or not. Uh, so some people, some, this gets a little bit tough a little bit, but so, there's some areas in which we're totally lacking. And there are some areas in which you're really strong. We're going to get to those. You're going to go, yep, that's me. I got me. And then there are going to be areas where you kind of go, well, I don't do so bad in it, but I don't do so good in it. I'm, uh, I, I need some growth here. And let me warn you, this is a kind of a tough list. And if you really pay attention, I, I beat myself up continually this week uh, as I kind of go through this. I go, oh, yeah, good. That is a good one. Uh, so nobody here is going to have a perfect score. I mean, I'm not going to give you a shoot and say at the end, okay, how many of you got 100 on this test? No. How many of you failed completely? I'm not going to do that to you. Uh, so we're going to take a look at what Timothy does. And Timothy gives us a set of guidelines here. Now we're going to walk through this chapter. First of all, he said a leader's life, his personal life, is in order. And the characteristics that Paul lists cover three areas. First of all, he said, your personal life, that's what he's talking about, your personal life includes how you handle your what? Your emotions. Paul says, and the word he uses is, the leader ought to be temperate. Now, it's interesting that the Greek word for that is wineless. I'm not saying, he shouldn't be a whiner. No, this is a wine oak. Uh, uh, it actually means wineless. But Paul isn't talking here about alcohol. He's employing a word in its more common usage here, which means alert or clear-headed. The leader needs to be clear-headed. You don't want to be like a drunkard. He also uses another word, which is called self-controlled. And this means that you are in charge of you. Uh, a leader doesn't live according to whim. He doesn't worry about what everybody else thinks he should do, and he reacts accordingly. Uh, he's not driven by emotions. He's got, he controls himself. As you go through the text, it says, the leader also is not violent. Now, that word is, is uh, 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 plectis. That's the Greek word, in case you want to get a Greek lesson today. It means, uh, I'll give you a great definition. It means pugnacious. So I've got plectis and pugnacious. What's he talking about? Well, the, the, the literal translation of that is, he doesn't hit. Now, of course, it can, it can be taken hit, literally. I mean, a leader in God's kingdom cannot be the person who's prone to throw a tempter tantrum or punch out congregation members over a disagreement at a voters meeting, for example. Although that's happened in churches, I'm sure. It's also to be taken somewhat figuratively, meaning that a leader doesn't lash out at people uh, verbally or try to get even with them. Then Paul goes on and says, well, if you're not going to be violent, you should be gentle. 
a person who lives on an even keel emotionally in control of his or her temper, in control of all the aspects of his emotional life. They don't blow up. They don't drift off into wild pipe dreams. And so in order it kind of to sum up a leader's emotional life, he or she is stable this way. It's kind of like watching the duck go across the water. Maybe a lot of paddling underneath, but on the top of the surface, things are pretty stable. Now, let's take a look at area number two. He says, your personal life also includes how you manage your relationships. And so he starts out by saying, a leader is hospitable. Philoxenos, lover of people. That's what that Greek word means. He says, a leader is hospitable. And literally, it means to love strangers. Strangers. Now, I've known many people who want to be leaders but don't necessarily like the people. Um, there are introverts and extroverts. Let's understand this. And that's just the way it is. Some people are, you know, they, they haven't met a person they've never liked and wanted to hug. Deb. <laughs> and guess what? There are a few people that are introverts. Jeff, maybe, me, Anthony. Interesting. Three of your leaders are kind of introvertish, a little bit more standoffish, maybe. Um, but loving people nonetheless. And uh, I've known people who want to be leaders, like I said, who don't necessarily like people. They like people, but they don't quite know what to do with these people. Uh, the truth is, God doesn't need a whole lot of more scholars. You don't need a bunch of Greek language and Hebrew people and, and people who understand Aramaic and Syriac. and You don't need more of those kind of people. You don't necessarily need entrepreneurs. You don't need soldiers. What you're looking is for good people who love people enough to want to lead them. Now, area number three is your personal life is how you conduct yourself. Paul says a leader is, and this now we get a little bit touchy here in a way, because this is a passage, again, that's been taken out of context many times. It says the leader is what? The husband of one wife. Well, if you got one, most of you go, well, you know, one's enough. <laughs> one's enough. Now, most people think that he's talking about polygamy or divorce. Multiple wives are divorcing people. Uh, or there are some churches who interpret it that saying, well, Paul is saying that single people then can never be in a relationship because they don't have a husband or a wife. But the truth is, what Paul is talking about here, uh, he isn't talking about marital status. He's talking about fidelity, faithfulness. And the Greek here is literally, he is to be a one-woman man. Or we could reverse it as a one-man woman. We put women in this context. It's the same terminology that Paul is going to use uh, in chapter 5, uh, which the NIV, I'm not sure about their good, their good translation. I don't like the NIV that much, but... The Anavite translates to a woman who's been faithful to her husband. Now, this phrase refers to fidelity, not necessarily marital status. Are you faithful in your relationships? This means that if a Christian leader like myself is married, uh, he is to be devoted to his wife. Uh, or if it goes the other way around, to be devoted to her husband. Uh, they're not looking elsewhere. And if a Christian leader is single, then there are plenty of single ones out there. It means that he or she manages social lives with integrity. Integrity is another wonderful Greek word that means to have a one-piece heart. You're not divided in your loyalties. 
Now, Paul also says that a leader isn't given to drunkenness. I don't think we need to talk much about that. I, you know, we all know what that means. We could talk about that more another time. He also said he's not supposed to be a lover of money. And uh, we're going to talk a lot about that in chapter 6 that comes up. But for now, I just want to say this. The worst part, what's the worst part about loving money? Well, it kind of robs you of the joy of feeling content. When the car isn't good enough, the truck isn't good enough, uh, the snowmobile isn't good enough, uh, your house isn't good enough, your clothes aren't good enough, or your furniture isn't good enough, or your computer isn't good enough, sometimes you just can't experience the contentment that God desires for his people to enjoy what it is that they actually have. And so when a person loves money uh, above all else, there's a great temptation to uh, abandon your integrity, to be looking elsewhere for something to support you. And then Paul takes a, a look in this chapter about the leader's personal life. So as you think about how God can use you in whatever leadership capacity for his glory, I don't care whether you're a student, whether you're a grandma and grandpa, whether you're a husband and wife, or whether you're single or whatever you are, it doesn't make any difference. The question is, how can God use you for his glory? Um, in order to figure that out, take a good, close look at yourself, evaluate yourself in those areas, go back and read that chapter one more time and go, need to work on, okay, 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 <laughs> go out right through there. Now, here's the second thing he said. A leader is comfortable with his responsibility of influence. Now, leadership has been said, it accomplishes one goal, and that's influence. Um, I've never quite said this to somebody, but somebody said, if somebody came up to me and said, uh, what do you do for a living? And if I said, I'm an influencer. I don't know what people would say initially, but isn't that what a pastor should be, an influencer? Isn't that what a disciple should be, an influencer? You're influencing people on behalf of the Lord, and you're trying to influence other people to join you in this whole discipleship journey. So Paul tells Timothy here, to look for people who know how to influence other people positively. And where does it start? It starts at home. Now, verses 4 and 5, this is where he gets back to home again. He says, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. Now, we have kind of a joke in our family that our kids were raised by wolves. They, they weren't. They were raised by Nancy and myself. Uh, but we raised them to be independent kids. And we raised them in a certain way, even as, you know, Ed and Debbie raised your kids the way you wanted to raise them. Well, there you go. Uh, we look at our kids. You've met some of our kids already. They kind of are little reflections of you. Uh, and our kids have been always pretty obedient. Uh, they do things today that are worthy of full respect. Uh, and he goes on, he says, and if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, guess what? Maybe you shouldn't have any responsibilities leading a church. That's pretty tough if you're a, a pastor. Um, I'm not going to say much more about that. Every once in a while, I see that and witness where it goes wrong. It doesn't help a church. Well, leadership is more difficult at home, that's for sure, because 
People at home know whether you're walking the talk or talking the walk or whatever the thing is, one way or the other. Um, If a person wanting to be in leadership doesn't have a positive influence on people closest to them, probably not ready to lead other people yet. Because leadership is really all about influencing other people some way. That's why Paul said a leader must also have a good reputation with outsiders. That a leader must be respectable and above reproach. Now, last week when we all went out to lunch, I had a little chance to talk to Pastor Joey down the street a little bit. Uh, Friday morning, let's see, Thursday morning, Friday morning, I was at the coffee shop. Hmm. Surprise, surprise. And uh, there's a table of about four or five guys sitting there, and I just park myself on it. And one guy turns around and he says, so you're going to sit over there and be antisocial? Do you want to join us old geezers? And I, I, I said, well, do I have to become a geezer? <laughs> well, it turns out one of the elders from that church down there, too. And he, he says, you don't really know Pastor Barry, but he's a good guy. He says, I know because my pastor talks about him and other people at his church. So somebody has some respect. Jeff was the one who initially met Pastor Joey, made an impact on each other. We sat here and ate lunch and talked about shared ministry. See, that's what uh, people do. Um, People uh, are respectable. They're above reproach. They have a good reputation with outsiders. Not everybody's looking at everybody and going, I I wouldn't join that guy's church because he's a real jerk. Or any other word you want to plug in there. That's why Paul says, respectable above reproach. Be in a position of influence so that he or she, whoever it is, would be comfortable with the responsibility they're given to be leaders. Now he says, also, a a leader ought to be able to teach. And some of you right now go, well, the last thing I ever want to do would be leading the class or doing this. Well, you still, still should be able to do this. It's obvious why this would apply to somebody like me. Uh, But I want you to realize that it applies to everybody else in leadership because you have opportunities, whether it's to talk to a group this size or I've had chances to talk to thousands of people. In fact, I got to preach the first night on the Million Man Crusade in Nigeria. Imagine that. One white guy from, I don't know where I was living at that time, Illinois, speaking to a quarter of a million black people. You have an opportunity to influence them one way or the other. And so Paul says that leader must be able to teach able to teach, because to communicate is essential to influence. Now, all of you went to school. Some of you are still in school. Uh, You have a few teachers whose style of teaching was take it or leave it. Uh, They're just going to hand you the facts. Uh, You can either pass or fail. I don't care. Maybe you had a few teachers like that. I had a few. They could care less whether you were there They were going to dispense the information and then leave. But some of us, and I include myself, had a few teachers for for whom teaching was a real passion. They loved to teach. They loved to influence people. They were able to take a subject like history or theology and and kind of make it come alive. Even even my Greek teacher at the seminary, he had, had a passion for what he was doing. It helped me learn a little bit more about Greek. Uh, Many people chose their careers because they were influenced because of a teacher. Uh, I have some people I know today that are pastors and teachers that I had the opportunity to to teach or coach uh, at some time in the past. 
See, teachers are in a position to influence other people's lives. And that's why we need to kind of master the art of the communication of God's word and to take this responsibility seriously. And so all of us become teachers one way or another. And some of you did that with your kids from the little bit, where you kind of taught them how to fold their hands and bow your head. And you, you, know, you taught them that, that terrible little children's prayer when they're laying in bed, now I lay me down to sleep if I should die before I wake. <laughs> I think we should start with a little more gentle prayer, but that's okay. It's still a good prayer. Or you taught them how to say, come Lord Jesus, be our guest. Let these, or my grandparents, come here, Jesus, science of God, suck me, but to be sure of this, amen. We can do it in, in German. You have that time to influence people. Here's the third thing Paul says. A leader has been at it long enough to have a history. Well, when you're my age, you've got a fair amount of history. But he says he must not be a recent convert. Uh, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. That's a powerful statement right there. You don't want somebody that doesn't know anything who is really going to influence in the wrong direction and take you on a deep dive into hell as opposed to let's go to heaven. It also says in verse 7, he must also have a good reputation with outsiders. We kind of talked about that so he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. And in verse 10, they must first be tested. How many of you have been tested in your spiritual life? Yeah. Made you stronger. It, you got to step back sometimes to say, is this what I really believe? And why do I believe it? Um, I've had people come up and say, Pastor, somebody challenged me the other day about something and I really believe it, but I'm not sure why. I said, well, let's open up our Bibles. Aha. And in your Bibles, you find the proof that you were looking for about why you believe what it is you believe. Yeah, if your leadership material, other people will see it. They'll invite you to join them. Uh, that's why Paul uses words like above reproach, uh, good reputation, respectable. All of this is under consistent behavior. And really, consistency in a disciple's life is a key word. So leaders are able to do the right things over and over and over again. And it's not that they're perfect, but he or she is just consistent. I mean, I was in coaching for, I don't know, 16 years, coaching some high school basketball, some college basketball over that time. You don't, tr- you don't judge a baseball player, for example, uh, on the basis of a single at-bat with the bases loaded. What you do is you look over their long history of time. I mean, how many times do you think Babe Ruth struck out with the bases loaded in his career and still managed to hit, what, 714 home runs? If you want to know the true value of a player, you want to know the true value of an investment, you look at their overall performance over a period of time. The question isn't whether they struck out with the bases loaded or missed the, missed the free throw at the end of the game. The question is, how did they perform over the course of their career. That's how you determine who gets to the Hall of Fame. And that's why it's crucial that we all establish uh, uh, some history that proves consistency and consistency is crucial to uh, leadership. In other words, uh, I'm speaking now to fellow leaders, and I consider you all leaders in some way at this place called Restore. Even if you're visiting today, you're still called to be leaders. Uh, your resume needs to include those three really valuable characteristics. Character. 
I mean, think about that again. Yeah, it's one thing to be called a character. Boy, he's really a character. No, we're talking about character here. Your personal life is in order uh, emotionally, relationally, and behaviorally. Uh, it has to do with communication. You're comfortable with the responsibility of influencing other people, whether they're your kids or your neighbors or just people you come in to meet in positive ways, and you kind of work on the skill to be able to do that. Uh, it has to do with consistency again. You've been at this long enough to prove that you're able to do it and you're going to keep on doing it. So, what's chapter 3 all about? It's what God is looking for in people that he's preparing to use. Well, I've had people like ask me already, well, you got three master's degrees and a doctorate. You certainly learned everything you can learn. Although, gosh, <laughs> I had to unlearn a lot of stuff getting those degrees to begin with. There's still stuff to learn each and every day about the complexity of God. I always think about like the Bible of like being a giant diamond. You know, if you do it, if you turn it, every time you turn it under the light, there's a different facet that shows. There's something new that you learn. You go, oh, wow, never, oh, never thought about it that way before. Oh, I see how that has to do with my life. I see how that impacts my family. And that's developing these things of character and communication and consistency. And this is what God is looking for as, as disciples. So I'm going to encourage you to do something I'm going to do again. I'm going to do it again this afternoon after I put my sermon online. Is I'm going to read 1 Timothy chapter 3 one more time. I'd encourage you to take time. Just grab It's not that long. What is it? 15, 16 verses. Read it again. Evaluate yourself on each standard. Be open and honest with yourself. Say, Lord, reveal to me where I am in this. Am I good? Whatever scale. And then pray that God would continue to work in your life so that you become better qualified not only to serve God, but to fulfill his purposes in your life as a disciple. May God bless us all in that leadership journey.